Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 99 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. In this episode, I want to continue to look at the writer's life and to focus on the issue of how we can live well as writers. I'm going to be looking at the totality of who we are, physical, mental, social and spiritual aspects of our health. Like every other artist, we writers rely on our bodies to function properly for us to create our art. Now, unlike actors and dancers, we may not be quite so reliant on our physical condition, but we do rely on that most critical part of our bodies, and that's our brains. So whilst the areas I'm going to discuss absolutely apply to the totality of who we are, a couple of areas are going to have particular focus on our brains. And all of the things I'm going to talk about in this episode are fairly straightforward and common sense, but some of them are going to run a little bit counter to our accepted stereotype and vision of the great author. So if you're wondering if you should draw inspiration from that image of the brooding writer in their room later at night, whiskey in hand, pounding the typewriter. Let me tell you now, the evidence suggests that is not the way to go. So we're going to consider six areas of our lives, which all have a bearing on our overall health and our performance as writers. And first up, we're going to think about sleep. So one of the problems with that image that I mentioned just now, spending a late night writing away, is that there's now overwhelming medical evidence to suggest that a lack of sleep causes a whole range of physical and mental health problems, from a greater incidence of cancer, to immune system problems and diabetes, to weight problems, and issues to do with anxiety and depression. Now, if we take a step back and think about sleep in a very simple and straightforward way, there are at least a couple of things that are going on, I think, when we're asleep. First of all, our body is repairing itself. And in life, we take some knocks, literally and metaphorically, and we need sleep to recover. But also our brain is catching up on the day's experience, making sense of what's happened. Someone described it to me once as our brain doing the filing, processing and sorting away the things that have happened to us. And certainly in the Western world, there is more and more filing for each of us to do as more and more information comes to us from all kinds of broadcast media and social media. So the case for having enough sleep and enough sleep will mean different things to different people. But experts tell us generally that's about seven to nine hours a night is, I think, pretty overwhelming. And my own theory on this, as it relates to us as writers, is that we work at our best when our brain has had enough time to do the filing and is ready to start work again. And in this case, work means making the right connections, imagining how things might be, testing different scenarios for believability and translating all of this onto the page or the screen into compelling prose. So sleep allows our brains to be at best condition to do that combination of imagining and hard work that we need as writers. Now, the conclusion here is that making sure we get enough sleep is an important part of the whole picture of being well, but it's also an aspect of us staying effective as writers. That's the first thing then. Next up, another very simple necessity of life, water. Now, we all know that we can't survive without water. About 60% of the human adult body is water and 73% of our brains are water. And according to Psychology Today's Dr. Joshua Godwin, our brains depend on proper hydration to function optimally. 
Brain cells require a delicate balance between water and various other elements to operate. And when you lose too much water, that balance is disrupted. Your brain cells lose efficiency. And years of research have found that when we're parched, we find it more difficult to keep our attention focused. Now this might all seem a little bit abstract and a little bit health focused for you, but as writers we need to take notice of all this. When our brains are functioning well, when they're properly hydrated, when we've had enough sleep, then we're able to think faster, we're able to be more focused and we're able to be more creative. The National Health Service in the UK recommends that an adult drink eight eight ounce glasses of fluid a day. That's eight lots of about half a pint, equivalent to about two litres and that should be water or low-fat milk or sugar-free drinks. So that's water. Let's move on to the third thing, eating and drugs. Thinking about what we should take into our bodies is fairly simple. We should avoid cigarettes and drugs, we should keep the alcohol level down and we should eat a balance of good food. So let's have a look at each of those areas very briefly. First of all, cigarettes and drugs. There's overwhelming evidence that cigarettes and drugs and by drugs, I mean generally prescribed drugs like cannabis and cocaine, LSD and heroin. All of these have a harmful effect on our physical and mental health. Now, alcohol is a little bit of a special case. In Western countries, alcohol is a legal drug. And the medical advice, again, from Britain's NHS is that adults should not consume more than 14 units of alcohol a week. So that's about four large glasses of wine or four pints of strong beer. Now I separate alcohol from other drugs because there is actually some evidence that alcohol is linked to creativity, but the problems of overdoing it with alcohol are significant. Alcohol, for example, can have an adverse impact on your liver as it tries to break down this awkward compound. It's full of calories, so it impacts our weight. It's linked to some forms of cancer and diabetes and can aggravate some forms of mental health problems. Now, my personal view is that the weight of evidence points to no alcohol or very low alcohol consumption really being the best option. That brings us on to healthy eating. So most of us know the drill when it comes to healthy eating. A good mix of food types, lots of fruit and veg is good for us. Uh, five portions a day at least. A bit of oily fish is good. Keep the bad stuff in moderation, so not too much salt, fat and sugar and processed foods. Now let me say here, I'm not trying to nag anyone with all of this. I'm no saint when it comes to these things, especially food. All I'm doing is presenting some evidence around how all these different things impact our health generally and our performance as writers particularly. And that brings us to the fourth thing I want to talk about briefly, and that's exercise. Now, if you've already got an exercise reg regime, that's great. But if you don't, I suggest you do do something and keep it simple. You don't have to sign up for 10 hours a week at the gym. Let's face it, you haven't got time to do that if you're not doing it now. Instead, do something easy. Go for a walk, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just a brisk stroll. There's a lot of medical evidence that suggests a short, brisk stroll daily or three or four times a week is really good for us. And anecdotal evidence that I've heard, including from guests who've been on the podcast, say that exercise is especially good in those periods of the day when, as writers, we're not so creative. Those are the moments when we should be getting out and getting some fresh air, getting a bit of exercise. And again, we see that what's good for us generally is good for us as writers. It's good for our work and our art to have a bit of exercise, to get moving a little bit. Okay, so next up, we have engagement with others, our social life. 
Now, I know that this is a challenge for a lot of writers, particularly those who are introverts and who find that whole being sociable thing quite difficult. It's easy for us to cut ourselves off from others, especially perhaps if we live on our own. And we can do it not even with any particular intent, but just simply because we stop making the effort to be with other people. We're focused on our work. We're focused and committed to our writing. And that means being on our own and getting on with the job. In episode 98 of the podcast, my guest, the writer Derek Kunskun, was talking about the fact that during his current sabbatical, in the early months of that, he found himself gradually withdrawing from others to the point where he realised that he was becoming a kind of recluse. Now that was when he started to think about his life and make some adjustments so that he was able to engage with others. And the website simplemost.com reports that there are six benefits, apparently, from social interaction with others. And these are, perhaps counterintuitively, you're less likely to catch a cold if you mix with more people. Secondly, it helps you to fight off depression. Thirdly, it helps you to sleep better. Fourthly, you become more productive. Fifthly, your brain stays sharper. And sixth, you live longer. So all these benefits were noted from a whole range of medical studies and are related to us being sociable. Now, I know this is easier for some than others, and it is a complicated issue, and it does depend on your circumstances. However, I think there are benefits from being sociable for everyone. Here are a couple of tips from me. Being in good relationships with others prevents loneliness and helps us to process the reality that surround us as we talk to people who share our worldviews who we trust and who we can have meaningful conversations with. Secondly, it's actually good to give as well as receive. There was a study in 2016 which showed that our brains are wired to respond positively to engaging in altruistic activity. It seems that giving to others has a lot of benefits for ourselves. It reduces our stress and promotes well-being. Now, it's also the quality of the experiences we have that count. Good communication is essential. And if that sounds a bit fluffy, let me be a bit more specific. I think communicating honestly and authentically with other people helps with this process of giving and receiving and making sense of our view of the world. So let's make healthy communication a priority as well. So finally, I want to look at our spiritual well-being or spiritual wellness. This is a big topic, but let's define the term and then focus on a few critical aspects. The University of California, Riverside defines spiritual wellness as this. Spiritual wellness is a personal matter involving values and beliefs that provide a purpose to our lives. So UCR have given us four simple questions that we can ask ourselves to help us understand the state of our own spiritual welfare. And I'm gonna read those questions to you. As I do, you might wanna just think for a moment about what your answer would be to them. First question, do I make time for relaxation in my day? Second question, do I make time for meditation and or prayer? Third question, do my values guide my decisions and actions? And fourthly, am I accepting of the views of others? So the researchers at UCR are saying that doing all of those things, taking time to relax, taking time to meditate and or pray, making sure that our values guide decisions and actions and being accepting of the views of others. All of these things are really good for our spiritual well-being. 
and I think all of these things make pretty good sense to me. It helps us to be well if we can relax for some time in the day. It helps us to order our thoughts and helps us to revisit our values. We can take time to meditate or pray or whatever we want to do. It helps us to feel comfortable with ourselves if our actions are in line with our values. And I think it's good for us to be prepared to listen to the views and opinions of others. This kind of self-awareness and mindfulness about ourselves helps us to prepare to give the best in our work. Meditation and or prayer can be particularly helpful, I think, as we identify and sort through the pressures, decisions and impacts on our lives. It helps us to perceive the wise courses of action and is not such a very different process from the one that we go through when we're thinking about character development and plot and storyline. Good conversation and private reflection can also help us to decide what our purpose is and how writing will fit into that purpose. So let me just summarise what we've covered today in this episode on the subject of living well and living well as a writer. First of all, we should make sure that we get enough sleep. Secondly, we should make sure that we have enough to drink. And we're talking here about water or water-based drinks without sugar in them. Thirdly, we should be mindful of what we take into ourselves. And I'm thinking here about drugs, alcohol, and the food that we eat. Fourthly, we should get some exercise. Just doing some walking, 15, 20 minutes a day or every other day is really good for us. Number five, we should maintain some social life healthy relationships where we're giving and receiving, especially with people with whom we feel we can reflect on issues and process things. Lastly, but certainly not least, we should be aware of and look after our spiritual well-being. So that's it for this episode. I hope that's been useful to you today. I have quoted from the following sources, the Scientific American website, uh, the website helpguide.org, which is a resource for social, emotional and mental health. Uh, the University of California, Riverside. The Sleep Foundation's website at sleepfoundation.org. Uh, the US Geological Survey Science School site. The Psychology Today website. The Water Benefits website, waterbenefits.com. And I've also drawn on the Huffington Post, quoting from the journal Frontiers of Human Neuroscience. So that's it for this episode. I hope all of this has been helpful to you. As ever, thank you for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.